Perfection. I am Gaul. Uh, I'm, I'm Moses. <laughs> and I'm Ted. <Awesome. laughs> <laughs> Yay! Um, and the theme for this week is uh, broadly representations um, of, of marginalized communities in science fiction. The good, the bad, the ugly, what, what sci-fi does well, what it does wrong. And if you hear piano music playing in the background, then... Um, it's totally intentional. It's totally intentional. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I wanted to say is that we are joined by two lovely, wonderful guests, um, friends of mine from from college and from before that as well. So I was hoping the two of you could introduce yourselves. Uh, so Brian, since I've known you the longest, oh, um, would you like to say a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hey, so um, my name is Brian. I, I reside in Brooklyn, service industry guy love um i don't know what do i love science fiction <laughs> fantasy i'm that's me i'm brian i'm cool yeah I don't know. You're like <laughs> classic nerd i would say yeah totally um D &D nerd just, uh video games just, all of it the gamut yeah much more handsome but <laughs> oh my oh well, oh, really burning the other nerds on this show. Uh, <laughs> not the audience we want, so uh, we're letting them know. And um, Sam, uh, say a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name's Sam Marks, and uh, I'm a paralegal uh, for an organization called Disability Rights California. So I work on all kinds of disability-related issues and have a disability myself uh, called spina bifida and I am very interested in science fiction. I, I wouldn't say that I'm the biggest sci-fi nerd um, <laughs> but very interested in in science fiction. I love uh, love it. And, Sweet and you, you yeah. said you're also a big fan of Star Trek too, right? Yes. Yeah. Ooh. So who's not? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't have that many feelings. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike it. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but don't worry, we'll talk about it. Well, yeah, why are we talking about uh, marginalized groups in science fiction? I mean, sci-fi has the reputation of being about space and escapism, but it's literature, and most of the time, when it's good, it's really a, about uh, imagining a different world and and. Uh, yes, alien races are often just metaphors for human races. Did you read that Octavia Butler essay that I sent? She 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 alludes to that. She's like, why? Why can't you just make them black? Oh, <laughs> like yeah. why do they have to be tentacled aliens? Two on the nose. No one <laughs> yeah. would read it. And maybe we could talk a little bit about our, our music that we thought about for this episode going forward. I kind of and had just found stuff related to Star Trek and Star Wars <laughs> music wise. Yeah, Lennon Nimoy has an album, so we gotta do yeah. something from that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that song, Highly Illogical, <laughs> is oh. so good. Oh, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Brian suggested a cut from Miko's album, Star Wars and Other Galactic Funk, which is not the only like late 70s, early 80s uh, Star Wars tie-in. <laughs> like a disco wow. or funk album. So wow. gonna play some tracks of a couple of those like disco nice. covers of uh, tracks from the Star Wars score. And oh my God. yeah, some other like Star Wars and Star Trek themed stuff. And then whatever else. <laughs> it's not strictly Star Trek themed, but I kind of want to play William Shatner's cover of Mr. Tamarine Man just because I, I mean, so much. Oh, yeah. I think it fits. I think it fits in the canon. <laughs> What a beautiful nightmare of a song. Last night 
you're wondering where all that music is that we're talking about, just go to lastrefugepod.com and your answers will be found. And if you don't care, then just keep listening. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Last Refuge of the Incompetent. Um, Brian, during the music break, talked about playing um, some some of that uh, weird 70s Star Trek disco. Star Trek? Star Wars, Wars disco. Star Wars. <laughs> I believe you'll find that it is from the Star Wars soundtrack. <laughs> um, Brian, do you... So Brian worked at like a really cool restaurant in Brooklyn. <laughs> And um, he was One like a coolest. secret uncool dude. Um, yeah. Brian yeah. looks very cool, but <laughs> if you know him well enough, you'll know that yeah. he enjoys listening to um, like uh, uh, what soundtracks. Love I'm into. <laughs> I love symphonic soundtracks from movies. Um, <laughs> so like composed soundtracks, Michael Giacchino, John Williams. I love that stuff. I'm a, I'm not cool. You, I look cool. Did you ever see that movie uh, Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson? Oh no, I haven't seen that. People. Yes, I've heard. I mean, obviously, that, that soundtrack is amazingly creepy. Oh my god! Mm. I like um, Stranger Things. I have I that soundtrack. Oh my god, so good! I just love soundtracks and music. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, anyhow. Uh, but yeah, I so I worked at this really um, cool. Uh, joint in Bushwick and um, I would play that on brunches like I'd have like a 70s mix and I always like sneak that in uh, it was just fun I don't know uh, polarizing for the people eating <laughs> people who were fans of, of Star Wars would like love it and other people because it would have the R2-D2 beats in it and people were like what are we listening to <laughs> have you heard the Star Wars Christmas album that same artist did Oh my God! Of course, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but <laughs> I like forgot about it. Uh, I, yeah, I think I might play the Odds Against Christmas, which is the CPO oh. narrated yes. Christmas song. Oh, Ted, I think my one request from uh-huh. the Star Wars things that I have um, is Bill Murray singing Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I can get like a good audio copy of that. Um, <laughs> There's one for the ages. Just call up Bill. He's not busy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I wanted to, to ask our guests some questions just to kind of get us rolling. Because um, uh, I know Brian and I talked a little bit about this at a time. And, and maybe, maybe Sam, you have some thoughts about it. But like, what, what made you guys get into sci-fi in the first place? Or feel connections with Star Trek or Star Wars or any of those things? So when I was growing up, my um, mother uh, was black. I'm black. My mom's black. (laughs) And she really connected with science fiction because of black characters. You know, in these futurescapes or different worlds, um, they often cast like diverse characters or like diverse people because it like, you know, it's unheard of in that time at that point in time. But like in this future land, Black people are side by side with white people. What a concept, right? Her interest in sci-fi, which then translated to my interest in sci-fi, really came from this um, sort of inclusiveness that was um, unseen at the time and questionably still is unseen. (laughs) Um, But uh, that's where my interest really came from. And like, obviously then that opened a Pandora's box to many, 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 many other things um, and created the nerd that exists now. Yeah, I would say growing up, I wasn't really exposed to much science fiction. Star Trek Next Generation was on you know, TV when I was a kid, but I was a little too young to you know, get into it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, oh, how many years? Uh, five or six years ago, I you know, saw it on Netflix and thought, oh, this is a show that you know, I, I know exists. Yeah. I'm going to start watching it. And once I started, I just couldn't stop. And since then, I've gotten into more and more science fiction. Um, started reading uh, Isaac Asimov and who else? Oh, there's a, um, a great uh, YouTube channel called Dust um, that has little short um, sci- sci-fi um, short films. 
uh, which is really great. I would say that I'm, yeah, I've never been the biggest like sci-fi buff, but it's (laughs) something that I very much enjoy. So cool. Um, And I, I definitely, as far as Star Trek goes, also appreciate the, the diversity and the, um, uh, I think personally, I, I look at it as sort of a, an, a series about an organization and like, you know, people cooperating and um, using all these positive values to accomplish a goal and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, Next Generation in particular is a super optimistic show about oh, the yeah, future, yeah. which I, I mean, I, do, I also, I grew up with the show. I loved it. And uh, it's at a time, it's like, come on, there's got to be more, some, more strife in this world. Star Trek Deep Space Nine gets a little more into shades of gray. I feel like, you know, I, I grew up reading it, and now uh, I'm probably blind to a lot of things in sci-fi because they were just around the whole time when I was reading it. So certain things I'm sure I missed. Uh, and if I had come to it as an adult, I would have a totally different perspective. I don't think I grew up. I mean, it was in my house. It was like a part of things that was read, but it wasn't like, um, I didn't only, or even, it wasn't even the main thing that I read growing up, science fiction. I kind of like recognized how much I liked it only later in life. And then I only read it. (laughs) Yeah. I actually remember um, the first, going going back farther, the first science fiction I remember being exposed to was uh, Brave New World uh, by Aldous Huxley, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the only book in high school that I remember being required to read that I actually liked. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it wasn't like, oh, this is science fiction. I like science fiction. It was, I like this book. Yeah. Honestly, it's like, I think growing up with sci-fi and growing up and relating to characters and different people, I think that it's hard pressed not to to see some type of reflection of yourself in science fiction. I mean, I always, growing up watching Next Generation, always like wanted to be Jordy LaForge. Like, duh. You know, like I loved that character so much. Um, who who is that? Is that Will Wheaton? No, it's not. That's, I don't know. That's LaVar Burton. <laughs> yeah, come um, on now. How dare you? <laughs> um, also, I was so inundated with LaVar Burton, you know, growing up, reading yeah. Rainbow and yeah. Star Trek. Like, come on. So, like, that, I, I always resonated with that character, um, you know, sort of growing up because he was kind of, he's kind of nerdy, you know? And, yeah. um, oh, man, he never gets a date on that show. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, so, and, like, even going further, like, into, like, more modern interpretations of, like, um, even their most recent Star Wars, you know, John Boyega's character, the American accent he chose was so <laughs> this like intelligent, um, not so, I don't know, it, it, like it's very nuanced, um, that sort of how he sounds. And it right. was very much like, oh, wow, I sound like that too. That's great. <laughs> you know? I mean, like the idea that Black characters, especially in mainstream media, have to sound a particular way mm-hmm. is like a big, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, in uh, Star Trek, there are certainly characters with disabilities. Um, Jordy LaForge, again, um, yes, is blind. Yes. Uh, and it's interesting. You know, I, I never really understood. He's got the this visor. He was born blind and has this visor that allows him to see all of the electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah. Which seems Plus like a kill to me. Pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I never really understood why that was the choice that they made. Um, Future. Yeah, he, he is also because an engineer, so maybe it helps him like see ah. machines and stuff, but yeah. never really. It definitely comes in handy a lot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, without it, he's totally blind. Um, there was another episode where there was a negotiator who was uh, deaf. Mm. Uh, travels around with three interpreters uh, but it, in terms of people like me um, people who use wheelchairs or have some kind of uh, physical disability um, 
not in the Star Trek world so much, um, <laughs> which is why I um, recommended uh, or I, I thought about uh, Gattaca. Yeah. Which I, I was, rewatched it today. It was a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, brings up a lot of salient issues, I think, uh, that we're dealing with in today's world. about Gattaca and uh, I'm gonna do a little back cover synopsis so my husband has been listening to this show and um, he he thinks that we should have uh, music interludes for the segments that we do often and one of those would be back cover synopsis and he's been singing that song (laughs) a lot (laughs) Brendan can you sing it for us back cover synopsis so <laughs> <Great>. melodic. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right. So Gattaca is a nineteen ninety-seven American science fiction film written and directed by Andrew Nichol. It stars Ethan Hawke and Ian Thurman. Um and it's presents a future society driven by eugenics, where potential children children are conceived through genetic genetic selection to ensure they possess the best hereditary traits of their parents. It centers on a guy named Vincent, played by Hawk who is conceived outside of the eugenics program and struggles to overcome discrimination to realize his dream of going into space. It was one of the first uh, films that I thought about when you um, asked about specific things we might want to talk about, because, uh, you know, it, it does have a a character that is representative of of me and people like me um, and deals with issues that we deal with that are, kind of becoming moving from science fiction to actual reality with the genetic testing and CRISPR program. Uh, yeah. Did you know this about the movie that when it was first released, they had a marketing campaign with like advertisements so that people could call in and have their children genetically engineered. That was like the campaign and like 50,000 people called the, this toll free number to get their offspring genetically engineered wow i also you know thinking about it the the character in that movie is a i forget the term that they use but a natural birth that uh, invalid or uh, oh yeah. god's yeah, yeah god's chosen yeah but you know that's what people are today and so it kind of in a way it puts everybody in the seat of being that character with the the thing that that society sees as a disability, uh, which I really appreciated. It's been a while since I saw it. Didn't remember that Gore Vidal is in it. And um, what's his face? That, that older actor. Oh, or his Alan Arkin. Born Yine. Oh, oh, and Alan. Born Yine, yeah. yeah. It was also, um, I was telling Gall, it was uh, filmed in my hometown, the uh, Marin County Civic Center. Oh, yes. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright building, which is this amazing building of... Uh, geometry and um, very futuristic, although it was built in the 50s. The movie has a very sort of, despite being you know, filmed in the 90s and about the future, has a very 50s noir kind of a thing yeah. going on. Yeah, it's really pretty. A lot of the buildings are like brutalist that, they're, that they have in the film. And it's a very, like the aesthetic is very particular. Um, and everybody is very good looking because they're all supposed to be. <laughs> Part of the premise of the movie is that uh, to get into space, right, you have to be above a certain level of perfect human. And so that's what Ethan Hawke is trying to kind of fake his way because he wants to get out into space so bad. Is it because there are colonies and so they need the best genetics stock? I forget that this aspect. Because you don't spend any time in space in the movie. The whole movie is like, is he going to get there? Eventually the whole society just becomes that that if you don't have that that particular genetic stock all these jobs aren't available for you and mm-hmm. you're like the dregs of society it's particularly with like people that are differently able they think that like it's it's hard it's hard pressed to find good representation for that kind of stuff i don't know if you agree um but like i i mean like 
I think about, especially when I think about um, people, especially people who are like on wheelchairs or um, I always think about one of the worst shows, but it's like my favorite is Glee. And there was that character that they had in that show. I don't know if you've guys seen it and he's in a wheelchair and um, yes. And the actor himself wasn't in a wheelchair, but he played such a great, he played such a great, like it was just so like, he he dedicated himself to playing this character, but they like shout on him all the time. And then halfway through like the series, he had like a dream where he was walking, and I was like, "This is totally like I like I just didn't I didn't appreciate it because it was like this is totally blasting this pretty good representation of this character and just throwing it in the toilet. Essentially, it was pretty to me. I was like, "This is like why would you even do that?" That's a pretty common thing. I haven't seen. Glee, but the the whole idea <laughs> <Not> of like, <laughs> but but the whole idea of the character who you know has a disability and dreams of being not disabled, uh, it's a very common and misleading <laughs> thing. Yeah, I would think so. No, I know, Sam. I was reading some articles, and I'm we'll link to them on our website. The uh, like about sci-fi by disabled writers and a lot of the complaints are you know a lot of sci-fi has disability but that it's always this is a utopian society where where we're breeding perfect people or any or or the dream is to to make that stuff completely wiped away Mm -hmm. Um, and i think that like that that's a like we were saying that's like just a common refrain in in most of sci-fi Well, I was about to bring, I was about to do Wikipedia Corner for, for Gattaca, which, yeah, which was just that it only made $12 million at the box office on a budget of $36 million. So not only did like 50,000 people want to get their kids genetically modified, they also did not want to see Gattaca. <laughs> Double not accepting the message of the film. But I think it's definitely gotten like a not even a cult following afterwards, which is like, yeah, definitely had yeah. a second life on home video. And in, in high school classrooms across the nation. Because I remember watching that for in high school. Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, I guess that must have been, must have been when I saw it, because I've seen that movie, but I can't like contextualize why or when. Yeah, it was totally I, in high school. I probably saw it in like high school English class or something. Yeah, yeah I think, um, right? Along with yeah. Britain World, I think. Yeah, the other the other thing I learned in Wikipedia Corner, other than Gore Vidal being in the film, is that it was originally going to be released as The Eighth Day, but there was a Belgian movie that came out the same year with the same title, so they changed it to Gattaca, which is like a hundred times more memorable. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> good job. Um, maybe we can move a little bit into, like, what does sci-fi fail to do? What does it do wrong? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can I can think of like five different huge representation fails just in Star Trek. So talk about this for half an hour at least. Well, is, that, is that your BuzzFeed headline? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll start with the one that um, relates directly to what we were just discussing, which is that the really the only character I can think of in Star Trek who's represented as like being in a wheelchair. It's really only represented as tragic, which is uh, Captain Pike. He starts as like a periphery, peripheral character in the original series who like when they've shot a pilot, he was Kirk um, and then they get rid of him. And later they explain that he is gone by um, having this episode where it's discovered that he's like, there was some accident and he's like basically a vegetable and constrained to this chair. And then in the new- newest, or the second newest now, Star Trek series, they bring that character back and make this this kind make this even more tragic and like central to his life and his plot because for wacky sci-fi reasons, he sees his own future and knows this is going to happen to him. So like it becomes this sacrifice that he makes. Mm. Um, will you know willingly and knowingly 
which kind of makes him more of a tragic heroic character. It's sort of just a throwaway in the original series, but it's something they include more intentionally in the new one. Yeah, that's not something that I have seen yet, but sounds like a familiar sort of <laughs> familiar idea. Yeah, the the idea of the the poor tragic hero. And yeah, and that character also there's like a race of psychic aliens who help him out by basically making him imagine he's in a different world with a you know, with an intact body and which goes back to the trope you said of um, you know, disabled characters dreaming that they're not disabled. There was a um Black Mirror episode where um this character sort of goes into this fantasy world and uh, it turns out at the end that you know that somebody who's basically like you said a vegetable. depictions of disability that I've seen are where the disability is just kind of part of who who the person is. It's definitely an aspect of who I am and uh, shapes my character and and things like that. But so often disability is portrayed as the most important thing that a person is or that a character is. And so uh, characters like uh, Walter White's son in Breaking Bad, played by R.J. Mitty, uh, who actually has cerebral palsy. He's just a boy with cerebral palsy. Right. Uh, and it doesn't make him a, a hero or uh, this tragic character. Yeah, I, I'd like to see disability portrayed as just like, you know, having red hair. Or <laughs> Hey, how dare you say that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a real like hallmark of super lazy writing. Like yeah. you can tell that whoever's writing the show didn't, you know, they just said, oh, I'm imagining somebody with this kind of disability. Obviously, it's going to take over their whole life. It'll be all that they think about. Similar bad writing happens when uh, men write women characters and just talk. They try to go inside the woman's mind and, and they're just thinking about their own breasts constantly. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I do all day. <laughs> no, there's an Octavia Butler essay from 1980 and it's called Why is why is science fiction so white and she talks about how like she's sitting in this class and the her teacher is like if you're gonna write black characters they have to be in the story because they're black like the story has to be because they're black like their entire reason for existing in the story and she talks about how that's lazy like it's lazy for a writer to say i don't want to include a minority character i don't want to include a character that i don't necessarily am a part of because why don't just like every writer does just research that that group and and you know put in yeah. the effort into writing right. a nuanced character or better yet don't make it about the race at all <laughs> she even she ta- she says something about star wars she says back when star wars was a new a familiar excuse for ignoring minorities went something like mm. this Science fiction is escapist literature. Its readers, viewers don't want to be weighted down with real problems. War, okay. Planet-wide destruction, okay. Kidnapping, okay. But the sight of a minority person, too heavy, too real. And of course, there again is the implication that a sprinkling of Blacks, Asians, or others could turn the story into some sort of racial statement. The only statement I can imagine being made by such a sprinkling would be that among whites, human people, the tall, furry people, the lumpy, scaly people, the tentacle people, etc., were also brown human people, black human people, etc. This isn't a heavy statement. I was reading uh, this this uh, collection that Ted linked to, we'll put it on the website, Dark Matter, short stories, or sci-fi from the African diaspora, so the black experience across mm-hmm. from the last century. Uh, and one of the short stories is by W.E.B. Du Bois. And oh, wow. Uh, he's written a couple uh, sci-fi-ish ones, and it's yeah, it's real sad. It's a comet comes by and wipes out. Seems like it wipes out everyone, sold from the perspective of a black man. And uh, he comes out of you know he's doing something in uh, 
uh, underground and he comes above and everyone's dead and it's like, oh my God. And then he sees the only other person he sees alive is a white woman. And at first she's like, oh, because this is, you know, 1930. Uh, but eventually, then they realize, like, oh my God, everyone else on Earth is dead. I guess we're the only two humans left. We have to see each other as yeah. humans, equals. <laughs> and then they find out uh, they're not alone, and uh, it was just New York that got wiped out, and a big group of white people come in, and they immediately want to lynch him. Like, it's so sad. Oh, wow. That story was adapted, or at least it was like a major inspiration for a Harry Belafonte movie. Uh, really? from 1959 called The World oh. of Flesh and the Devil, which is maybe one of the most sexually suppressed movies, like, repressed <laughs> movies I've ever seen. Oh, um, like, it's a similar, similar plot where he's, like, underground when this, like, gas is released that kills everyone on the planet. And, yeah, he discovers the one other person in New York is this white woman. And then, and then another white man appears, and like the entire plot is just that they, even though they're the only people left on the planet, they like they can't both be with her, so they have to go to war with each other. And and like she says one racially insensitive thing early on, and he spends like the next forty five minutes of the film sort of being hurt and like standoffish. Yeah, but yeah, it was, it's ridiculous. Like it's the movie is so clearly about sex and just won't touch it directly <laughs> at all. When did it come? When did it come out? Nineteen fifty nine. Oh, okay. Is that is that the movie where he like can't like kiss her? Like he actually wasn't allowed to kiss that actress. I feel I think, like I. Oh. I think so. Although they did actually have an affair during that movie, um, As but they were. not on screen. <laughs> Oh, the other reason I, I brought up that collection is that Octavia Butler has an essay in it. There's a short story section and then an essay section. And Samuel Delaney has a really good essay in there, too, about his experiences as a young sci-fi writer. And then... I just started uh, following Samuel Delaney on Twitter, and it is a roller coaster. <laughs> he, only, he only joined Twitter like a month ago. Okay, <laughs> he's well. All, he's already posting pictures of his sink. He's great. Pictures of his toilet. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's it's quite an experience. You know, he joined July 2020. It's, it's less than a month. Oh, was that Twitter corner with Ted? Twitter corner. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like if you look at these old characters, like let's say if if I rewind back to um, the original Star Trek series, you have a Huru, that character who was major at the time, right? This um, she's. I don't remember if she's like a linguist or a lieutenant or like she's what, the communications or officer. Ever. Right, right, right. <laughs> but she, but she clearly has this huge role. And like back, like you know, back then she, like she's instrumental in, you know, bringing forth people like my mother, like a lot of people who really like love the sci-fi genre. And then you sort of you know fast forward to that episode where she and William Shatner share, share that on-screen kiss. And it's because of mind control, because who <laughs> would actually want to kiss a black woman? Some representation is good representation because it allows for that movie to be made. Like if you don't have a her back in the 60s, right. 50s, 60s, late 60s, you don't have, you know, John Boyega and Star Wars, you know what I mean? And like, you could say whatever you want to about the most recent film. Um, but <laughs> um, I really appreciated how they had a lot of like, you know, uh, black characters running around that movie even though you've got john boyega who's this great character in that film the the amount of backlash that he received for being oh oh, oh you have a, a a non like you have a a non-white main character in star wars that's like mm -hmm. the hero like people right. freaked out it's crazy well the, the thing too is you know we <laughs> we hate the sequels you know are the prequels and um, people were like, well, everyone, all the stormtroopers are supposed to be, there's supposed to be clowns, like this, is, ah! And it's like, come on. First of all, I didn't know this, I'm sorry, but I guess the stormtroopers are all clones of each other, is that That's the deal? That's established in the, yeah, <laughs> in the prequels, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> I mean, they, they eventually switched to conscription. Um, okay, there you go. But the which is why that. there's actually no in-universe contradiction in John Boyega not being 
which is another whole thing yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> even if he's a clown um, he's not white sorry yeah there it is yeah <laughs> unfortunately too if you watch the series like the new ones it's like he's got this really strong story arc and then they just crap all over it in the second one you know what i mean he like he oh yeah the two the two the two characters that are his like love interest, his love interest his little um who's played by like this also this beautiful like oh, this yeah, I new like, like asian representation um in this character and they and then she also totally in the third movie gets totally like tossed aside because totally jj um, abrams is a coward and he just <laughs> Uh, it's ran like, away from this racist bachelor act from the fan right. base. Um, That's right, it, JJ. It's, we're calling you out. Yeah. I mean, you, know, <laughs> listen, you have to call him out for it. Because he had, you know, it's like, you're like, well, you can only have one. You can only have him. Uh, and like, yeah. It's like, and it's the same with... Same thing of every, every, every race has to be justified. Right. right. And yeah. well, they yeah. invent... They just throw in this new black woman character to like be his love interest. Which that was is like, so random. And it's and it's sad because it's like we're here and we're not, it's like now there are mixed couples everywhere like and it and it's unfortunate that like they they're like oh well we have to now put this black character in to be his love interest and then also um, I mean even further representation there is no gay representation although mm. I mean like subtext yeah like, there's some real subtext like, there. <laughs> um, but like, then they throw in. What'd you say, Moses? Wait, Peel's still in this one, right? Oh yeah. I mean, there's subtext all over the place, right? It's smeared with subtext. But there's like at the end of the third recent film, it's like you have this lesbian couple that make out for like 0.2 seconds, and they're mixed race. Whoa! And it's like, you know. They started off very strong with Finn, like, obviously, like, there were problems with many multiple characters. If you, like, when straight white men try to make our women gay, whatever, it's like, you get, you, there are problems, but, like, they tried so hard, like, with Poe and with Finn, and then, like, you know, just to, like, sort of just drop it all. Emperor Palpatine's back, you love him, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's play some music. Let's play some cantina music. <laughs> yeah, we could we could make a full episode of just complaining about Rise of Skywalker. Oh, oh my god, I know. The worst. we were talking um, about Star Wars and um, Lando Calrissian being this character in the 70s um, that also sort of, I was ushered into sci-fi from this character and I loved, 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 loved Star Wars. Um, also, side note, James Bill Jones, amazing. Yeah. Um, and that voice of Darth Vader, just incredible. Lando is a problematic character because it's like, at the time, he's this great, great representation, but then he's the the villain. Essentially, he's this um, he's the, this guy who like is like a like a swindler, essentially, who sells his friends um, to get in good with the empire, essentially. Yeah. Um, and like, it's like this this character that you sh that you should be really excited about this representation on screen, um, and he's a swindler, and he's like. You know, Billy Dee Williams is that cool black guy. <laughs> you know, in the third movie, they tried like they try to like redeem his character um, and just do a sloppy version while sitting next to a very racist caricature of Asian people. If you don't, remember, if you don't remember that character, he sits next to in the Millennium Falcon in the third one. Yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> I mean, that happens like, so um, much. I remember as a kid reading and watching a lot of stuff, and then getting older, and then being like, "I'm gonna watch this thing that I loved," and being like, "Oh my god." the yeah. characters like the way women are treated in here or whatever are like right. you know you you come back to it and realize how crazy it is 
Should we talk about Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, in, in, well, there, uh, in that Octavia Butler quote um, earlier, she talked about how, you know, it shouldn't be radical. It's just, you, it's in space, you put, um, if you have humanoids, you know, some of them won't be white skinned. And Star Wars at some points has done that, has done an all right job at that, mm-hmm. especially in the new sequels until that third movie. Um, <laughs> but a lot of that, a lot of that uh, terrible racial representation just gets sort of offloaded onto alien species, mm-hmm. um, yeah. like Gungans who are Jamaican for no good reason. Right. Um, or is that tra- what Jar Jar Binks is? <laughs> yeah. Presumably, I think the voice actor, is, the voice actor of Jar Jar Binks is black. I don't know if he's actually Jamaican or just doing. A weird they all space are. Jamaican, but yeah, yeah. they all have, it's space Jamaican. They all have, <laughs> they all have weird accents. There's the Trade Federation people who are Nemoidians, oh. I think. Oh, man. Yes, like all Mandarins. Uh, there's yeah. like of Asian Trade. Yes, um, yeah. There's that little like I don't know French Vietnamese mouse guy who's Lando's co-pilot in Return of the Jedi. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. There's Watto, who's um, a slave-owning little flying um i mean he's pretty jewish <laughs> oh i don't yeah. oh, sure yeah. i'll take it's, it yeah, it's it's so <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah 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 i know that character yeah yeah he's like he's like this anti-semitic drawing like from the <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah watto you know the character uh, mind tricks don't work on him because he's too interested in money yeah okay yeah, yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> Hey, those but, are my people. <laughs> and I mean, that's a there, and there's a long tradition of kind of you know ideas about race uh, in the time of works creation being transplanted onto uh, alien species. Star yeah. Wars is just a particularly bad example because right. it's not even like Star Wars seems to be trying to say anything with it. It's just a no. complete own goal. It's like, well, they're different. Um, none of those characters are like particularly good like the um the what were the the ones that are supposed to be really bad asian interpretations what were they called uh um, i think they're nemoidians but i could yes 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 they're like evil and then (laughs) and then the um i mean obviously the gungans are like bumbling buffoons like (laughs) and they're like portrayed as these like underwater jamaican black jamaican like and as a kid, it, like, it's so sad because, like, as a kid, I watched that and loved it. And then, like, you, I, like, watch it again and I'm just like, I'm sorry. You said what? Like, I'm just, it's just, it, like, I can't believe that that guy, like, like, thought that that character, like, was, I don't know. Like, he didn't see the, the sort of the... Um, I mean... You gotta, that's the only roles that are available for people sometimes. Do you know what I mean? No, but like, that's what happens, right? Like that's, those are the, you want, you want this job, this really high profile job, like you're going to have to do something that makes you uncomfortable. Dance with the cane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, 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 sure, sir. I, I, I'll do that for you. Um, yeah. You can yeah. cut that if you need. <laughs> no, keep, keeping that in. <laughs> totally happens to people with dis- you know actors with disabilities too is um especially um i think the correct term now is little people yep. for the longest time were oompa loompas and ewoks what's the ewoks and uh what's the the lollipop guild yeah oh my gosh. yeah yeah munchkins yeah. munchkins yeah we were talking a little bit before about representation and you know no representation is bad representation but yeah. <laughs> Some I mean, representation is bad representation. Yeah. I mean, I mean even like R two D two, wasn't that like Warwick Davis was that one actor who No, Warwick Davis Warwick Davis is the um is the um is is the one of the Ewoks. Okay. He is but um, he's he's had other roles in Star Wars. I'm not sure if he's R2 He's not R two D two though. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's not R2D2. But that's like another he like he works solely really in like sci-fi fantasy, um, like genre, that genre as a person that doesn't look like him. You know what I mean? It's like, right. he has to be an alien. Right. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he can't be a uh, human, which is sad. 
Yeah, you can't be like or the love interest or the main character no. or whatever. No. Yeah. He's the main character in Willow, isn't he? Yes. Yes, yeah. he is. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. That I did not know about. <laughs> And this episode is just some recommendations of like some good representation. I know that I have some suggestions that have to do with indigenous peoples in the United States. And uh, the three of us, Moses and Ted and I, we all read. Uh, I think it's a really good. I really like the book. It's fun and it's easy. Called Robo Apocalypse. It's written by a um, indigenous author um, and like the Osage Nason play a huge role in it. And um, I'm wondering if you guys have any recommendations yourselves before we go into that to talk a little bit about Robopocalypse, but. Watch those movies that have good representation and also watch the ones that have bad representations. Maybe it will give the future of people who want to write sci-fi or like want to like exist in that realm where movies, write books, whatever, to create a character that is good <laughs> and like a good representation of themselves as a as a person i mean but you know uh, don't um don't pay for it hack into ted's uh server and <laughs> what now i don't know what, you're what? About. i said nothing <laughs> Oh, we were talking about uh, good representations uh, between the time that you um, contacted me about um, this show and and now I've realized like I really don't seek out representation representation of disability in uh, science fiction or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I I certainly notice when it's there um, because it tends to be rare and it sticks out when it happens. But in general, I would say. Uh, you know, the people who have lived those experiences are probably the, the best, would, would have to be the best uh, representation that you can find. That's an interesting point. In seeking out indigenous representation, I've like found so much cool stuff that I wouldn't have necessarily found if I was just like, oh, what's the next book I'm going to read? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, Ted sent us a bunch of short films and films made by native people about sci-fi made by indigenous uh north americans for the most part but just indigenous americans and it's some of it's so good and i wouldn't have found it if i wasn't specifically looking for it i know that as a person who has been sort of struggling to create his own writing for years and years and years i always i will Whatever I wind up publishing, if I ever do, hopefully, um, it will be something that's unapologetically me. And because I exist as a Black gay person, that is going to be all over whatever it is that I write. Um, And a lot of things that I write are very based in sci-fi fantasy. So your point about, like, when you're writing whatever you want to write, it's always going to be your story, right? And so these films are sci-fi, but they're so very, they have this, like, you can really see the the, the author, the, the filmmaker within them. And, and I thought they were cool. I thought they were really good, Ted. <laughs> Did you watch uh, any of them? I watched three of them. Um, and the, <laughs> the animated one um, that I'm trying to remember the name of right now. Uh, uh, yeah, it's called Bidaban, the Don Cons. Yeah, yeah, that one is great. Yeah, so we're like mentioning a lot of stuff and well, this this week our website will have a lot of um, links for for recommendations for you guys. Um, the the idea that like you're not going to stumble upon that unless you're looking for it is actually an unfortunate thing. Like a lot of Afrofuturist stuff, like unless you're specifically looking for it, you know, it's not going to be the thing that pops up on your read this next or mm-hmm. you know. I'll highly recommend that Dark Matter anthology again, because that's a, a great, you know, a century of Black sci-fi. And Samuel Delaney's essay in there goes over, is all, he has an, another reading list of his own that's, you know, stuff that's not in that collection. But the, the story of his that's in that collection, I and Gamora, is, uh, 
is is great. We haven't really talked much about queer representations in sci-fi, but that is one where people who go into space have to undergo a procedure that kind of totally de-genders them, de-sexes them, and then certain people on Earth develop like a fetish for that, for space-faring people who don't have a sex, and it ends up being mostly about prostitution, mm. the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's good, and that, that story, I think, won a couple of awards. We were talking earlier about uh, Nichelle Nichols um, mm. playing Lieutenant LaHuro and that being um, pathbreaking. I don't know, have, have you told the story that she tells where she was going to quit the yeah. show? Yeah. Yes. Because like Gene Roddenberry was awful. Um, yes. And yes. other reasons, like it wasn't that great to be on set. And right. then Martin Luther King Jr. either like wrote her a letter or visited her in person. So I have the story here, right next to me. <laughs> um, but what wound up happening was they were at um, she was at a fundraiser for NAACP, and um, someone was like, "Oh, hey, somebody wants to talk to you." And she thought it was just a big fan of the show, and it was Martin Luther King, <laughs> and, and it was a big fan of the show. <laughs> yeah, he was a, and he was a big yeah, he was a big fan of the show, um, and he just encouraged her to, you know, stay on the series because not only was she a beacon for black people, but she was also a beacon for women and black women, you know, at that time that was like unheard of, you know, he was just like, please stay on the show. You are going to influence so many people. I think that that was, you know, instrumental. I think that that is a true statement and was a, a true sort of sentiment that he had to her, which I thought was incredible to read. I mean, that's like, to me, it's like, even, you know, when I was growing up, I still watched that particular version of the show because of that character's um, sort of influence on my mother, then influence on me, just even in the new, like sort of rebooted movies um, that sort of retell that um, first story. Um, You know, Zoe Saldana, who's uh, uh, an actor, an actor of color who has been sort of stuck in sci-fi. She she plays that character and gives her own sort of interpretation and sort of beautiful interpretation of that sort of character too, which I sort of um, takes that original um, character by Michelle Nichols and makes it her own kind of, um, I think really beautiful representation of a character too. She is kind of, she's great in those movies. I think if I recall correctly, like, even though there's this in in universe explanation for why this crazy interracial kiss happens in the show, like mm. the actors still had to fight pretty hard to get it included. Like, yes. Um, mm-hmm. William Shatner, like basically, like would ruin all the shots that didn't include the kiss and like trick them <laughs> into um, <laughs> including it. Like, but yeah, it wasn't necessarily like the show wasn't that ready to go there no. even then. To boldly go, or yeah, <laughs> right. I think also um, with going back to Star Trek and sort of uh, weird interpretation of like the you know the newer movies, um, the Sulu uh, uh, George Takei is gay in real life, um, and when they made Sulu gay in the movies, he first came out as like not okay with it like he wasn't he was just like this is wrong you've ruined my character because he wasn't gay george, he was george like, takei is a complicated uh man <laughs> <laughs> totally <Yeah>. totally <laughs> but i i thought that by doing that it's it's no one really understands like the amount and the the reach that those you know movies have queer representation especially in nerd culture is like you know is sort of related to like fan fiction and like comics and it's it really hasn't hit that mainstream i learned something new last week from moses that slash fiction came came from from spock and um, perk slash spock perk slash spock fiction oh did did you know that that like the term slash fiction came from from people wanting to write a love story between kirk and spock I'll, I'll bring up one other Next Generation episode uh, about gender, about a, a race of people where there's no gender, but then there are freaks among them who suddenly have gender, and those are the oppressed, you know, sexual minority of this race, and one of them seeks refuge on the 
Enterprise, and uh, number one, William Riker, Jonathan Frakes, the actor, becomes like the guy who's trying to fight for their rights. If they give these people back to their home planet, they're going to be like forced sterilized, pretty much, is mm. the deal. And and Riker's like, no, that's terrible. Riker also is like the sexiest guy on the show. Oh so my god! In one way, it's kind of funny that he's like, no, let these people bone. Uh, <laughs> he's like the, the barrel-chested one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah he's the, he's the himbo of the Enterprise. Yeah. 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 yeah I like him. But the uh, actor John Frakes, he tried to fight for to get this character play to be played by a male actor because uh, they have a kiss at the end of the thing. Like this, the oh. thing falls. The the character falls for Riker, and he couldn't get it. And this was in like the mid '90s, so right. he was trying. He was really trying to push for that that same sex kiss even if it was an alien it didn't go through though he failed people yeah. still weren't okay with it yeah i mean you think like a lot of people talk about these shows as like pushing the boundaries and right. there's still this like wall for certain stuff a lot of it comes down to it's not going to sell people aren't going to right. buy this yeah. you know what i mean because they don't they don't think people will watch these things but like yeah. time and time again they're always proven wrong which is unfortunate that they haven't been able to really like push because people will still watch it. People will boycott it, but people will boycott it anyway. So right. why not just push and like create a new fan base, a better than a, a, a better fan, yeah, a better fan base. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you don't need yeah. that fan, yeah. No, that's true. You don't need that fan. Yeah, you don't. that what we can do is 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 hint at Robopocalypse and say that it's a good book and then tell you guys to read yeah. it ahead of time because we'll do an AI episode and we'll probably bring it up. The author of that book also has a PhD in robotics. So yeah. for those of you that are 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 uh, are longtime listeners who are waiting <laughs> show to show to know what we're reading, read Robopocalypse ahead of time and we'll talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I could I could say one sentence about representation in that book because <laughs> yeah. uh, you can't make me shut up. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, like I don't think representation that isn't like I don't think any of the individual characters are like amazing representation just because none of the characters are that deep. They're mostly like yeah. tools to advance the plot. Yeah. I think representation yeah, the whole book is really a series of vignettes, so you never yeah. go deep with any one character. But like I think representation there is interesting because like an indigenous way of life is seen valorized by being like something that can survive this robot apocalypse in ways that the rest of society can't. Right. And it like shows it to have like a unique value in that way. Yeah. Um, as like a whole like like system of living, not as like an individual like, you know, if you're like Cherokee, like the author is and you're like a kid growing up it probably is kind of cool to see like a Cherokee <laughs> hero or an Osage hero in this book. But Yeah. I mean, the yeah. book itself, I mean, this like, it, it is plot driven. It's one of those books where you're like, what happens next? You know what I mean? And the main thing that's driving you is, is the AI because the guy is a, a robotics dude, right? Like that's his deal. But like you were saying, Brian, when you're writing anything, you're going to write about yourself. And so of course he's going to say like, these characters are, are going to be nuanced and some are going to be like some are going to be indigenous do you know what i mean right. and so i think that that there's but to make something that's unapologetically you is what makes and pushing the the genre in that way is important to do i think like you have mm -hmm. to you really have to do that to to sort of push the narrative forward want to know what music we curated for this episode Go to lastrefugepod.com and you'll be able to find that out. If not, please listen to Focus Bird. Laters. So in Voyager, in like the first couple seasons of Voyager, there's this species called the Kazon, and they basically like they're a badly thought out species. They kind of look like Klingons, but like uh, with slightly different facial makeup and like like more like natural hair. And I read years later that the creators of the show 
bat species was supposed to represent like LA gang warfare. <laughs> oh. and, like they thought oh, it was no. like representing like the world we live in, which oh, oh my god, like the worst idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean also Voyager also has Shakote, who's like he's the Will Riker of Voyager. He's like the mm. number one. And he's indigenous, but his like they never like really specify who his people are or where he is from exactly and there's one episode where they're in an entirely different part of the galaxy and they discover his people like on this planet and i can't remember if it's that his people are aliens that came to earth or they fell through a wormhole and got to this planet it's not great well, there's this, there's like a, a common thread in the way that like Native American peoples or indigenous peoples are represented. And it's this whole idea that like they're, they're yeah, they're just Native, they're just Native American. And it's like, mm -hmm. they belong to like societies and tribes and communities that are very important. Like, you know, you, you don't yeah. just say that this person is, is Native, this guy's Cherokee and that, and like, there's this like reclaiming of the, the tribes that people are from. Yeah, and Chakotay has this like facial tattoo and he's like vaguely spiritual. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not the worst, but it's not that uh, uh, yeah. nuanced. Uh, and I guess the other example was the Ferengi. How anti-Semitic oh, yeah. are they? Um, <laughs> oh. I don't know. I'm going to look it up because I don't know much about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're this, they're this race with like, they're like short, they have giant earlobes. Yes, um, and they're like mercantilists who are obsessed with money and like trading, and Got they don't it, like okay. doing anything that doesn't yeah. make a profit. Yeah, no, I see it now. <laughs> I, I feel like I have, one of my cousins is. Uh... <laughs> Only I can oh. say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, like the leader of their society is played by uh, Wallace Shawn. He puts on his most annoying Wallace Shawn voice possible yeah. to play <laughs> the leader of but Ferenginar. <laughs> <laughs> but there is an episode where the main Ferengi character, like in a lot of in a lot of the episodes, of the Ferengi are sort of, um, you know, the Federation characters kind of make fun of them, and like, oh, we're much more enlightened than you because we're post money and whatnot. Mm. And there's an episode where one of the Ferengi characters kind of retorts with, "Well, you guys kill people all the time. Your past is blood soaked. We don't do any of that. We just peacefully trade." Right. Um, so That's a good one. yeah who's really the immoral <laughs> species here um thanks ted but uh, yeah it is kind of weird that they that was they introduced that species in the 90s <sighs> i mean all those things are never ending right, the, right. so the 90s was not great <laughs> for representation that like mean at all sure i mean the present days are <laughs> What are uh, we in the true. 20 oddies? <laughs> the tw we're in the 20s. 20s yeah, the, the new, 20s. the new, the, oh, the, the new, new roaring 20s. 20s. <laughs> I mean, um, the burning 20s. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> the roaring of flame <laughs> trash fire that is these 2020s. Uh, before I, you know, before we wrap up, is there are there any last words before I murder you guys through the screen? Um, <laughs> Brian and Sam, anything, anything pressing? Oh. Um, I've been pressing. I just thanks for allowing me to sort of wax poetic on my one of my favorite topics. Um, yeah, so man. I appreciate you guys letting me talk. <laughs> well, it, was, it was so nice having both of you on. Yeah, thanks. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. Moses, what's our email? Uh, the last refuge of the incompetent at gmail.com. And there's for those of you who are like, I'm listening to this on the radio and I used to be able to call in. Well, guess what? You can call in again. There's a new voicemail line on KCSB, 805-253-3091. Um, That's 805-253-3091. Call in. We want to hear your beautiful voices. We want we want to hear your thoughts, it's, good it, or bad. What's up, some, Is that somebody's job at KCSB to go through every single show's voicemail? Yes. Oh, <laughs> One line for everyone? Yeah, well, I don't know. I think you call in and it, and it asks you that you have to follow some prompts or something. I don't that really sounds know. so complicated. Just email us an MP3. <laughs> 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 and like I said earlier, um, check our website because I think I'm going to post a lot of um, links this week. Um, and it's lastrefugepod.com. A lot of links to, to some articles and some, and some good film and some 
some stuff that you should read. And um, Ted, are we doing what I think we're doing next week? Uh, yeah, I think we are. <laughs> I think we are. <laughs> What's our theme next week, Ted? Uh, next show, we're going to be talking about Zardoz <laughs> and its influence on, on Ted's cinema. Psyche. <laughs> yeah, also on my brain. <laughs> yeah, Maybe more than its influence on cinema. <laughs> and we're, are we going to have a guest? Uh, yes, we're my friend Brendan, who's not your husband. Although, uh, do you remember in college how you were like adamant that you that he and I should marry, even though he's gay? Yep. And you did marry Brendan, <laughs> so it still feels him. like a victory. <laughs> and one time, I I still have Brendan's number in my phone, and I have my husband's number as well. But my husband's is Brendan McBrien, and one time I called Brendan, and he picked up, and he was like, "Call? <laughs> 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 oh, uh, hey." <laughs> Anyway. Um, now you can finish that conversation. That'll be great. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> All right, stay up. Uh, what is it? What is it, Moses? Uh, Good night. Uh, yeah, sleep well, on cafeteers. There you go. Science fiction.